Hey, Willow. Hey, Dean. Welcome to an exciting episode of Bookstabber. Another Bookstabber and another beautiful Bookstabber morning in the year of sword and sorcery. The year of sword and sorcery. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. What a year it's been. And what book are we, what book did we read for today's episode, Dean? We read one of my favorite books as a kid. We read The High King by Lloyd Alexander. Um, which was published in 1969, and it won the Newbery Medal. It was the fifth book in the Chronicles of Prydain, based on Welsh mythology. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I know that this is one of your favorite book series, so I organized a little something for today's episode. Well, I'm terrified. I, we have a special guest coming, but I think he's I think he's running a little late. Wait, wait. Is it the ghost of is is it the ghost of Lloyd Alexander? No. Oh, here he is. He's here. He's in the room with us. Hello, Gene. It's me, Gergi. Shit, I fucked it up. What did Gergi's voice sound like? <laughs> that, oh, that's terrible. Gergi, yes. Crunch, crunchings, cr- crunchings and munchings. <laughs> God, the the problem is, is that I, I practiced the fucking stupid impression from the, the Disney movie. Oh, God. Try, try it one more time. Try it one more time. Oh, Frightful Master. No, fuck it. Ah, oh, <laughs> You're pretty close. I As far as I remember, I... Oh, yes. I'm going too high pitch. What's the... It's, it's actually very close to the Gollum voice, right? Um, it, it is, but it's, it's a little more uh, fun. Yeah. Oh, my tender hurting head or something. God, now I'm doing Jordan <laughs> Peterson. I can't do it. I fucked it up. I was so ready. I practiced this. I always thought I, I, it's funny. I remember it more as like, oh, <clears throat> faithful Gurgi will go with crunchings and munchings and like, like it's a little, it's a little more, it's a little more Cheech and Chong to me. I just think well, Gurgi's he, like high, high, and <laughs> he's like this guy who's like covered with leaves. And that was either Peter Lorre or uh, Ren from Ren and Stimpy. Oh yeah, it's a little Ren. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. So the thing that's funny about this is that because I have done the voice a lot, because um, th- I don't, I wouldn't say this is like a universal, but uh, there's a lot of trans woman uh, voice guides out on the internet, and one of them I remember you you have to start by doing Gurgi's voice. No. Yeah, it's it's really <laughs> stupid. No, it's well, I'll t- I'll say this. I don't think it's a very good. It's not. It's not very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> like oh, how to, yes. how to lower how to lower the register of your voice? You start with Gurgi. Well, no, not to not to lower to heighten. Oh, so, sorry, lo- raise, raise, yeah. Gurgi is here. We should we should say that. Uh, so so there's five books in this series, and the second most like this is probably the most famous one, the most lauded one. But the second most famous is called The Black Cauldron, and it's the second book in the series. And Disney did a, an animated movie based on that in the early 2000s. Is that when it came out? Late 90s? Oh no. It- no, it came out before I was born. It was in the 80s. Oh, in the 80s. And uh, it kind of reduces it <laughs> quite a bit. I think it's based on the first and second books, the movie is, but it's called The Black Cauldron. That's many people's memory of this series, unfortunately. Uh, I thought about going back to watch it again, but just could not bring myself to, to even try. Yeah, I've, so I have some fun stories about that because I've seen The Black Cauldron film a few times. Hilariously, when... When I picked this book up for the podcast, I knew that this was going to be the last book in the series, at, which is kind of an awkward place to start for if our listeners don't know anything about this. I don't know. Maybe if, if OK, I'll say this. If our listeners have any interest in reading this book, maybe don't start with this one. Maybe start at the beginning or I, I agree with that after after rereading it by itself. Um, but uh, we should say we're going to spoil the book in its entirety. Uh, if you haven't read it, maybe stop now and read all five books in the series, which will take you about uh, a day and a half. 
um, because they're kids' books and you can just fly through them. Uh, I, I disagree, at least when it comes... This one took me a while to read because it was a little difficult. Uh, not It's true, it's not like... It's not dense. Let me give a pitch for the series for a second. It's it's based on well, it's based on Welsh mythology. It's five books. The first is the Book of Three, in which we meet Taran, the assistant pig keeper, who lives with kind of a Gandalfy kind of wizard guy who has this book that tells everything that's ever happened or ever going to happen. It's called the Book of Three. He lives on this in this kind of farm with him and this former soldier, uh, Cole. Cole, Cole. <clears throat> did you listen to the audiobook? I did, but that character did not come up. Okay. Uh, well, he's in the he's in the High King though. He's call. He's the he's the soldier that goes with Taron to. Uh, when when does he show up in the High King? He's with him the whole time, <clears throat> but he's he's got a very minor part to play. But he's the he's the former soldier who gra- grabs a grabs a rake or a spear that's being used as a bean pole and then takes off with Taron. This this book has so many characters. I know Dalbin. I know I know Call the Bird. I know I but I don't remember any <laughs> Call. Well, this is one of the problems. So 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 Taron. <laughs> uh, I don't even remember what happens in the first book. Uh, second book, uh, they go to try to destroy the Black Cauldron, which is how uh, Aran, the, the Death Lord, kind of king of king of Anavan, the Death Lord, king of the Land of Death. It's how he turns dead soldiers into the living dead, and they're not like the living dead we know. They are actually unkillable. So all you can do is kind of slow them down or turn them away, and and they have to destroy the Black Cauldron so that he can't make any more Deathless Warriors, but that doesn't kill the ones that are already out there. And then the next one is called The Castle of L-L-Y-R, Lear, Lyre, uh, in which Princess Islandway, who's been all throughout the book, is kind of this sassy young princess who has a little bit of magic in her blood. She has gone off to learn to be a princess, and there's an evil queen who used to be the queen of Prydain. Her name's Akron. She appears in the High King, as does everyone. They rescue her. They kind of stop Akron. Uh, and then my favorite book in the series is actually uh, Taran Wanderer, which is the fourth book, in which Taran goes off. He, he's, he's kind of... He's a boy in the first book. He's a young man in the fourth book who goes off to try to figure out his parentage to see if he can, if he's good enough to wed Island Wee. And he just goes through this series of kind of tasks almost to kind of figure out who he is. He works at a forge for a while. He uh, becomes a potter for a bit. He learns herbal lore. He just kind of travels among these really small villages called the Free Comets. Uh, and then he comes back. And at, at the beginning of The High King, he has just come back from the Free Comets. And The High King is the final battle against Aran, Death Lord. Aran's on the move. Aran, at the beginning, um, has made a move against Gwydion, the Prince of Dawn. He's kind of the Aragorn figure of this adventure. Uh, he by, by impersonating Taran, who's close to Gwydion. Uh, they almost kill Gwydion, but then everybody arrives at... Almost everybody in the book arrives at Ker Dalbin, Dalbin's uh, stronghold, Dalbin's farm, where Dalbin lives with Cole. And they decide that it's time to, to move against Aran. And they all basically journey off and face betrayal at every turn. They're taken prisoner at one point. They face the deathless troops. And Aran also has these great troops called the Huntsmen of Anivin, which is where he rules. And the Huntsmen are cool because uh, they all have a, a brand on their forehead. And if one of them falls, all of them, the rest of them who live, get that much stronger. So you don't even want to kill these guys. Uh, Gwydion ends up losing his magic sword at the beginning. They go off to try to stop Aran. There's, there's a lot of death and battles for a kid's book. And it ends in this kind of ultimate battle in, in Anavan, which is where you know it's going. Um, and every character who's ever been in the book appears, which is kind of the weakness <laughs> of, of the book. But it's it's so great if you kind of have any idea. And I will, I will say, 
I will say, like, maybe the downfall of the book is everyone is kind of uh, a stereotype, and they kind of have one characteristic, one central characteristic. Yes, absolutely. But but it's a kid's book, and it's got, I think, for that, it's got a lot of heart, and it's pretty easy for me to remember who everybody is. I go, oh, yeah, that's who that guy is. And then I, I kind of recall something enough about them to kind of keep going. But they all have, like, a way of speaking that's very cartoony, and I can't believe it wasn't made into a very, I mean, cartoony in, like, an animated, very simplified animated kid's uh, TV show sense. Well, that's one thing I wanted to bring up is that you said that the Disney film sort of was not a fair characterization of the material, but I don't know if it was I don't know if it was fair, but I didn't I didn't see much of what I what I think about when I I I think it's basically one to one, honestly. Uh, but every, everybody who reads this book this. hated it. I mean, like and like that book that that movie well, did no business. Well, that well, I'm not that no that movie is flawed. Also, this book sucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Willow, no, no. Well, this book is not. This book is not. It's not uh, the Wizard of Earthsea. No, it is uh, not. So I actually. So this is interesting. So going into this, I I the only my only association with these books is that I had seen the the Disney film, obviously. But I, as a child, I have a distinct memory. I was in like third grade and being in my elementary school library and picking up one of these books. It might've been the only one that the library had. Oh, how could a library have just one? That's that's abuse. Who knows? But anyway, um, I got like a third into it. And I specifically remember getting this part where they had all of these magical items, like a, like a magical mushroom, and them trying to get into a castle and it all going to hell. Oh, that oh that that's this book then. Yes, it is this book. That's saying I got to that point in this book and I said, wait, I read this book. I tried reading this book when I was seven, and <laughs> I, re- I I remember as a seven year old giving up <laughs> shortly after that, and uh, and ever since I was like, was that book was I was it too smart for me? Why, why did I put it down? And now I can say because <laughs> I wanted to give up immediately at that point as well. But it's like, yeah, it's just not very interesting. It's not a very interesting book. Well, I think the problem is you didn't you didn't read them in order, and and these books really need to be read in order, and and you have to be kind of exactly the right age, which I think I think you were. That's about when I read them too. I think I read them in um, third grade, um, and I read the entire series in about three days, I think. Mm. And they're they're probably the first fantasy novels I ever read as a kid. It's the first time I took a book home and was like, I have to read the next book right now. And I went the next day and I got like the next two books out of the library. And then I got, you know, the next two books the day after that. And I just sat there all night. I mean, I was in like third grade. I didn't have any homework. Right. And I just, I just read and read and read and it alarmed my parents. And I think I alarmed my parents <laughs> from that day forward. It was kind of great. Sure. Um, and, and I, yeah, I just, I, I, I think I, so weirdly, I think these are the books that kind of unlock the world of reading for me. I read before this, but I didn't read voraciously. So so they have a very special place in my heart. And I, I love, the thing I love is that kind of Taran controls his own destiny throughout the series and is kind of able to make the correct decisions. I think that had a huge impact on me. Although these books, like as adult fantasy, these books don't make the cut. They're ridiculous. And they're so simplified no. and so stereotypical. But I, I can still read them... Um, like on a sentence level, they're not horrific and I can still read them and, and kind of nostalgically remember how great they were. How's that? I, well, okay. I can only speak to this book being the only one that I've read. I assume that there are a lot of similarities between the books. My main criticism, my number one criticism, I would say is that this book is so, it, it, it has its characters and it has, and if you don't like the characters, there is nothing else 
to like about the book because there's no other content. Every everything is about the characters, and as you said, the characters are extremely one note. They they each do one thing. Fluter Flam says things that are not true, <laughs> not true in a slightly comedic fashion. Well, I think I think we are... have to talk about the. I think we have to talk. So 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 Taran is at the center. He's an assistant yeah. pig keeper. Taran is not interesting. He is he is Luke Skywalker without any notable characteristics at all well, well, he is... well he's he's the only person who doesn't have a stereotypical thing going for him except for that he's obviously developing into a great man and is going to make the correct decisions right i mean sure but prior to this book he he wants to be a great warrior and then over the course of the books he he has become a great warrior and now right. he realizes that which you know i don't think is an uninteresting idea but i don't know that um i don't know that anything happens with it I'd, well it, i i think i think he has a good arc um, because of because uh, he ends up becoming who he wanted to be and realizing it's not it's not great and and the people around him and then and thus him everybody pays a high price for him kind of doing the right thing like there's a lot of death in this book a lot of people he cares about die there's there is one death in this book by my count no there's more than that there's way more than that well no there's one named character death in this book right no no there's more other than King Run rune whatever you call him yep yep who 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 what other named character dies cole dies the former soldier who taran who helped raise taran he he dies at one point now Uh, okay i I don't want to i don't want to belabor cole because i literally don't remember this character when when does that character die i would say two-thirds of the way through the book he dies when they're trying to turn back the deathless warriors the cauldron born when taran has taken on the task of, of turning them away from anavan so that gwydion and the sons of dawn um can go attack Anavan. Uh, is that during the big battle where they melt the river, or no? It's it's before that. Call they're, they're like there's like a an old wall, and they realize the Cauldronborn are going to have to march through a hole in it. And Cole basically sees that there's another smaller hole down the way, and he's the only one who sees it. And he runs down to stop it up because all they can do is is like basically get big tree branches and push the Cauldronborn back until they give up, swarming over this wall. And so Cole goes down there, and the Cauldron Board attack him. He he dies fighting. Okay, so Cole dies. King Rune dies. King Rune dies. K- King Rune dies. Who was in a previous book was kind of a big thing. But Cole has been big throughout. Akron dies. Akron, who used to be the leader of uh, Pradane, she was kind of an evil queen. She has a big part to play in the third book, The Castle of uh-huh. Liar, as I pronounce it. She's kind of right. reformed. She's an interesting character. She's reformed. She's now living at Kaer Dalbin with Dalbin the Wizard, um, whose powers we don't really see until this book. She wants revenge on Aran because she's the one who basically taught Aran the secrets of Anavan. And so she goes to try to take him out, and uh, she's killed right at the very end of the book. And Math, son of Mathenwi who's the high king of Pradane, uh, dies, making Gwydion the king, basically. But Gwydion okay. has, but, but because Cairdathel has fallen by that point, Gwydion has no kingdom, right? So, I mean, sure. there, there, there's there's betrayal, there's battles. I mean, I, I think this book is more interesting than you're saying, but I realize it's all it's all really stopped up in the in the characters and how the, every battle is about how the characters behave in battle and what they do that's sure. stereotypical of them in battle, and it's kind of crazy there's there's one character in particular i want to talk about there so there are two characters also i will say that some of a lot of taran's friends from taran wanderer which is the fourth book die as well the people from the free comets that he goes and recruits to the the cause and then that follow him into battle right under the banner of the white pig hen wen who's the pig he raised who is an oracular pig the pig can tell the future with with dalbin's help i think we have to can we talk about gurgi for just a second yeah let's talk about gurgi 
So, so Gurgi, Taran meets him in the first book. Uh, Gurgi is kind of this half man, half animal thing. I always think about Chewbacca. I think about Chewbacca, and who's the who's the kind of uh, sheepdog in the Looney Tunes books? What's his name? The one oh, the coyote God. fights when he's not fighting the Roadrunner. Do you know what I'm talking about? The one who just watches the sheep, and the coyote tries to sneak in and get the sheep, and the sheepdog like stops him. They're kind of at war. Uh, yeah, well, it's the dog that like clocks in, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't. I actually have no idea what that dog's name is, but. I don't know either, but but like Gurgi is kind of like them. Gurgi's 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 main thing is he's always hungry and uh, he doesn't he doesn't speak so clearly. I I made a list. So when I was when I was planning on doing the Gurgi bit, <laughs> I, I I made a whole list of uh, rhyming phrases to use as Gurgi. I was very proud of uh, podcasts and broadcasts. I realize I'm gonna sound like I'm gonna sound like Secret Squirrel and Morocco Mole. That's what I'm gonna sound like. Gurgi with crunchings and munchings and podcasts and broadcasts. In in the audiobook that I listened to, I think I could do that impression easier. Oh, Gurgi sounds like this. Oh, mon- many crunchings and munchings and floating and boating. <laughs> floating and boating. Oh. That's in the book. Yeah, when they got the pooping, pooping and scooping. <laughs> <laughs> Reading Smacking. and bleeding. <laughs> Smackings and whackings on my poor tender head. <laughs> my poor tender head. And so Gurgi, Gurgi uh, the, the main piece of equipment Gurgi has is his uh, magic wallet that is endlessly full of food, which oh, is kind of oh, nice. I didn't, realize it, I didn't realize it was magical. I thought he just had a bag that he kept apples in or whatever. No, no, it's, it's it's magic, and so because he's always hungry, somebody gives that to him somewhere along the line, and it kind of solves a problem in that, like, you know, you don't have to listen to him bitch all the time about being hungry. <laughs> he well, just pulls out whatever the, food he wants. But this is sort of the core problem with this. This is sort of the core problem is that they, these characters are having a real problem of Aron, the Death Lord, as the cauldron born, and he's going to kill everybody. He's going to become the super dark lord of the whole world, and half of the characters in this book are just these morons who are there for no reason like and all they do is complain about nothing so there's there's one character in particular like there i i I think there's three characters that you can line up that are all basically the same character one of them is gurgi and gurgi sucks as as we've pointed out gurgi doesn't suck the second one gurgi is the the faithful follower he's not quite chewbacca he's not that useful but yeah he's something Right. That, well, that's just it. Is that usefulness is a is a factor here? But so okay. There's there's Gurgi. There's Gwistle. Gwistle sucks. Oh, don't get me started about Gwistle. Gwistle's Gwistle's the worst. Gwistle is uh. <laughs> there, no, there's one that's worse than Gwistle, but Gwistle does suck. I, I need to point out. Gwistle is one of the fair folk. He's kind of he's kind yeah. of uh, he's kind of a little goblin guy or something. He um... he's just a sad goblin who's defeatist the whole time. And thankfully, he's only in this book for like one scene. But he's well, he, just well, he. Yeah, go ahead. He's he, he's terrible because he was stationed. He was in the book. Tell it says this because I had forgotten it. He was stationed too close to uh, Anavin in a in a Fairfolk kind of watch post, and uh, it kind of drove him mad because the Fairfolk can't go near Anavin because it's the land of death. They will just die, uh, and so he was too close for too long, and he's really his appearance in this. I will grant you is incredibly stupid. Uh, Island Wee because she has magic basically sees Gwistle when like like. Uh, Taran and uh, Cole and a few other folks have been taken prisoner in King Smoit's castle. And King Smoit is kind of Henry VIII. He's just this big guy who eats a lot all the time. What a great king. Uh, and and so uh, 
and this guy named Mag, who's basically Grimer Wormtongue, has taken it over. And they know it's bad because Fluter, the bard who can't ever tell the truth, uh, every time he exaggerates, his harp string snaps. And he, he rides a giant cat, which he also gets in the third book, I think. So Fluter goes in, says, oh, hey, Mag's in there. And then uh, they have to figure out how to set them free. And then just as they're trying to figure out how to do that, Island Wee spots Gwistle in the bushes nearby. One of the fair folk, kind of trying to avoid being seen, uses her magic eyes. Uh, and Gwistle has exactly what they need, which is a very Lloyd Alexander thing. He has uh, toadstools that if you throw them, they, they burst into flame. And yeah. eggs that if you throw them, they burst into smoke. And they hatch this plan, and it all goes wrong, but they go in and right. they free Smoit's people, and they free Tarin and the others, and there's a big battle, and that's when Rune dies, right? This is the Which one is... thing that seven-year-old me remembered about this book, was getting these magical mushrooms, and uh, I, one of the things I think is funny is that there's magical dust that if you throw it in people's eyes, it blinds them, and I'm like, well, that's just dust. That part's not even <laughs> magic. Well, but it also, if, 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 if you rub it on your feet, you can go without without being tracked, which is right. strange. But but I mean, like, so, so so a typical Lloyd Alexander book is, yeah. like, somebody at the beginning is given, like, three things, and those three things come in exactly handy, which is a huge fairy tale, like, yeah. myths and legends kind of thing. And Alexander always uses that. And there's always, like, a little bit of romance, too, um, or usually a little bit of romance, Um it, I mean, this is this is kind of how he writes. It's his style, and if you you love it or hate it, it's it's if he has a formula, it's this one. And so it's it's very present in this, but I think it's fairly well done. It's fairly well wrapped into it, except the level of coincidence in, in Island we finding Gwistle exactly when he's. And so it's I'm gonna tell I'm gonna say who you hate. You hate Gwistle. You hate uh, Glue. Glue is the worst character of anything ever. Glue is the worst. Glue is the former giant who was with them from the very beginning of this book all the way to the end for no reason at all. I would have drowned this kid. Like, like he's <laughs> he's awful. He's he's always after. Uh, he's he's greedy. He wants I to go legitimately. With I legitimately don't understand why Glue is in this book because he never contributes anything ever. He's there. There is one time where he is actually plot important because he causes a cave in, but. That could have happened for any number of reasons. Like this character should not be in this book. Everyone hates him. Nobody likes him. Well, there's two he, times. There's two he's times. He's not even likable. What's the other time that he's does something? So, so, so the first time they're going, they're taking a shortcut to in a last ditch effort toward the end of the book to stop the Cauldron Born and the Huntsmen from reaching Anavan and engaging with the Sons of Dawn who are laying, laying siege to Anavan, they hope. And so Dolly, who's another character, we'll get to it in a second. Dolly is kind of a, a little dwarf guy and he's got some warriors that King Idlewig, I think is his name is, the, the, the King of the Fair Folk, has sent to help Tarin and his people, the people from the Free Comets, uh, harass the Cauldron Board and the, the Huntsmen. But um, so Dolly is leading them in a shortcut through a mountain and Glue is so greedy. He keeps picking up these gems, which everybody else is ignoring, although they're all worth a fortune. And he pulls one out of a, I don't know, a, a arch or something. And the arch collapses and the whole the whole thing caves in and uh, they have to go back. And now they're going to be super late. And it's 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 disaster. But later uh, at the end of the book, Glue and Gurgi in the final battle in Anavan have been separated from everybody else. And Glue sees uh, Aran's treasure hoard, and they go in there. And I think I think Glue grabs something um, that no, Gurgi, Gurgi that, keeps. Well, well, I well, Gurgi is the one who has the has the box that is important later. Gurgi Gr- Gr- has it at the end, but the only reason they go in there is because Glue is such a such a greedy. Turd. Right, but you could easily have written that so that Gurgi had just went in, and I don't know. I don't think I don't think it's. I think you could have, but I think I think glues. I think glues. Um, 
Okay, just to make like a comparison to Lord of the Rings, for example. Oh, he's terrible, though. I I agree with you. I I hate him. I hate him. I hate glue. Well, it's like, why is like, why is Gollum important in Lord of the Rings, right? Because nobody likes Gollum. He is not he's not really protagonist. But there's a there is a theme where the only reason that they get the get the ring into Mount Doom, because at the very end, Frodo is tempted to, to keep it forever. But it's because they spared Gollum earlier because they didn't kill Gollum that Gollum's greed overcomes and and he, he and the ring go tumbling into the volcano right mm. and mm. and so they make a point out of it is like like it's, it's because we spared him that he, he still died horrifically but things would have worked out differently and so there's there's you know there, right, there's a right. grand design right and it's better to be good than to be evil we could you could argue about whether or not that's a cogent theme or but um it matters at least it mattered to Tolkien Whereas I feel like with glue, there's there's just nothing. <laughs> like even if we could even be nice to glue, and he doesn't have to come on the journey. Like he's not. There's no good reason for him to be on the journey. Well, I think I think a, I think a criticism of this is it's very derivative of Lord of the Rings in, in a certain yes. way. Yes, it's, it's certainly it's certainly yes. but it, but it's based in the same mythology, right? So it's hard to say that, and it's really a simplified version. So I don't I don't I don't feel like it's an it's a valid criticism, but but it's it's certainly obvious throughout this that it's 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 related right thematically and in the stuff it's based on but and then dolly dolly is like also stupid dolly is like one of the fair folk he uh his main thing is he complains that his that he complains all the time as well another complainer yeah uh and he can turn invisible by i think holding his breath i will say that uh, i liked dolly as a as a dwarf stereotype as someone who does enjoy fantasy like this is a fantasy stereotype that i like that he you know he clearly is friends with everyone but he can't admit that he has to he has to complain because that's sort of his his type his station you know in sure, a way sure sure um, and he, he helps as much as he can compatriot. he helps as much as he can but it's not very far. Right. So I think I like Dolly as a character just fine. I like, you know, when it comes to like our main characters, like I don't like Terran. Terran is, <laughs> well, because he's just so generic. He's like painfully generic. I don't like Ilanwi. I don't. Well, I, so, so I, I, Ilanwi's main thing is she's kind of a smart aleck, doesn't, doesn't keep her station as a princess, talks back to everybody, gets her way, is kind of pushy. I like her. If if you if you've seen the Disney film, The Black Cauldron, I would say that Taryn, Ilanwi, and Fluterflam are exactly in the book as they are depicted in that. <laughs> no, really, like one to one, like uh, just perfectly. To, well, you have you to... have to display to me how I am wrong because I having having read this book and watched that movie, I don't see any dissonance between those two things. Well, did you see the the movie first? Or read the book. You read the book first, right? Well, yeah, no, I read the I read this book, The High King, when I was like seven years old. I didn't finish it, but I I got to a point, and then I gave up, and then I didn't watch that movie until I was probably like twenty one. Huh. Huh. Yeah, I mean, all I can tell you is I remember watching it, and I remember just being like, "Ugh, this is not." <laughs> it, 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 like like it's 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 probably it's the first time I really wanted something to be made into a movie that. It was awful. Sure. The next one, the next one was the uh, Sci-Fi Channel's adaptation of The Wizard of Earthsea. <laughs> so terrible. Sure. And then, and then e- even Miyazaki's. Oh, so bad. Well, I'm not saying that the Disney movie is good or or that it isn't. Th- like it's it should be criticized for a number of reasons. But in terms of depicting the characters, it gets the characters right. Like, well, yeah, I, m- I remember Taran was okay, but like, like I, I, I think Ilanwi. I think th- I think in terms of their dialogue, I think Ilanwi and Fluterflam sound exactly the same between hmm. these two things. 
Interesting. Like, and well, maybe it's because they both annoyed me. Like, I, <laughs> I, I basically find all of the characters annoying on some level. D- does does Gwydion appear in in the movie? No, okay. no, he doesn't. That's very strange because because D- Gwydion is... appears. Yeah, Gwydion is really always he's always the guy Taran looks up to. He's the warrior. He's the prince. What are you know, the, he... what are these Nazgul things that like? What are these little dragons that they ride around in the book? Oh well, they, they, they don't they don't they don't ride them. So so there's there's so and so uh, Aran has basically three. He has, he has human troops as well, but he has he has uh, the the deathless warriors, the cauldron born, right? The ones the mm-hmm. the bodies that were thrown into the cauldron back when it still existed, and are now just animated and just kind of march. And right. then just he has pure undead, just skeleton zombies. Well, I mean, I think I don't think they're skeletons, but yeah, they're they're like they have leather armor. They all seem to be armed the same way. There's almost no description, right? They're kind of like they just have blank yeah. faces and blank stares. And then there's the huntsmen. And the huntsmen right. are the ones who have a branded forehead. They kind of they, they, they lead the deathless, but they also fight on their own. They're the ones who, if one is killed, the strength goes into the rest of them through magic. Yeah, so I think that I think these huntsmen they sound like really cool antagonists, but that key feature of them leaves me with so many questions. Yeah. yeah. I, because okay, if you start with like a hundred huntsmen and they all do a magical ritual to so that with one of them dies, they each get one guy stronger. They, or they get like one one hundredth of a guy stronger, distributed evenly, evenly amongst the other 99 <laughs> right, right, right. guys, right? I guess they become one ninety-ninth stronger. Anyway, so then it's it becomes this question. Well, th- right. Does it mean that they can be penetrated by more arrows? Like, do they still die the same, but they have like... It, okay, so if a hundred... If you have start with a hundred huntsmen and 99 of them die, and you have one guy who has the strength of 100 men... Mm-hmm. Can he take one hundred arrows before he dies? Or see, I think I think is this it... is you need. I think this is you needing all the explanation. As a kid, that's terrifying to me. <laughs> like 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 as an adult, I agree the math doesn't work. But yeah, you have like a thousand huntsmen, and like one dies, and what happens? Nothing. Well, but <laughs> like... also, but the here's the other question. So let's say that because presumably they recruit at some point, they get new huntsmen. So it's like, all right, let's say that a hundred. We started with a hundred, ninety nine of them died, <laughs> and then we and then we recruit another ninety nine. Does the strength of the other ninety nine come flooding? Like, is osmosis? Do they? Do we find equilibrium? I think or... you. I think you found the next haunted skull comic right 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 here. <laughs> this is what I want to read about. I don't. I don't think there's any way to adapt it to a comic. It's. It, oh, I, I think... I, I'm. I'm gonna help. I'm gonna help. This sounds great. All right. Well, <laughs> I just want to know, like, what what the because it seems like an MLM scheme, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like it. you would kill your other huntsmen just to make yourself better at a certain point. Um, let's, see. let's see. So, so who else is here? So, so Dalbin is the Gandalf figure. He has the magic book. Uh, there's actually a book of short stories set in this world, too, that uh, exp- where you see Dalbin as a young man uh, who chooses wisdom and it makes him old and gives him power, but kind of costs him his youth. There's the quest for the Black Sword, which Aran takes from Gwydion at the beginning of the book, almost kills Gwydion. The Black Sword is called Durnwin. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And so they kind of quest after the sword, which is found in the most stupid way in this book, I would say. I'm trying to think of who else is there. Mag. We already said Mag is kind of Grimer Wormtongue. He works for Anovan, thinks everything's going to work out. And then there's all these people from the Free Comets, uh, Heved the Smith, uh, Aron, Clay Shaper, a couple others. Um, oh, and there's the there's the guy who uh, takes care of the animals of Pridane in a secret valley. Uh, he's kind of a wizard, kind of a demigod kind of guy, and uh, he sends the uh, the creatures out to battle Aran as well because he realizes if uh, if 
uh, the deathless guy, the the Lord of Death wins. Basically, the the creatures are going to um, be enslaved as well. And he he also saves Ka's life when Ka's. Oh oh, and we were talking about uh, Aran's warriors. The third the third type of warrior Aran has besides I, other than the humans and the huntsmen and the cauldronborn. The fourth type, I guess, are the Gwithaints. They are kind of evil-looking yes. creatures with with big talons, and they're black and dirty, and they have big red eyes. And sure. uh, Taran, when he was younger, uh, saved one, <laughs> a young one that was dying. And of course, it saves him at the end of this book. Um, is that the, what is that what happened? <laughs> I don't. Re- that that is what happens, and it's mentioned really early on in a very awkward way because I think. Uh-huh. My guess would be Alexander wrote this straight through and then was like, well, I can't, like, that's just too much to drop in right at the end there. When Tarn, Tarn falls off a cliff, when they're going through the secret road to over Mount Dragon that Akron, uh, to get revenge, has told them about after they've, uh, after the, the tunnel has collapsed. So it's, it's Tarn and a few of the others, and they're making that final push to keep uh, Aran's warriors from Gwydion and the Sons of Dawn, who are laying siege, to uh, Anavan, and... Um, Tarn falls off this cliff, and this Gwithaint like snatches him out of the air, and then he realizes, oh wait, it's the friendly Gwithaint because it's not pecking me to death right now. Ah, oh. <laughs> it's a bit of a coincidence. Uh, every good deed gets rewarded, basically, in this world. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Sure. But people, but people die left and right, so there's clearly things at stake. Um, you can argue uh, it's a little clumsily done. I would just argue it's a it's a kids book, and uh, the way it's presented. It is- it is absolutely a kid's book. I don't even know that it's clumsy. I, to me, there's just no... In fact, I almost... Part of me wishes it was a little bit messier. Well, it's, it's not cl- it's not clumsy, but the morality of it is so straightforward. The values of it. Like, everything is so plain, you know? Um, it's not just that the morality is straightforward. It's a, a lot of it is straightforward in a really uninteresting way. The, and, so, like, one of the things... So this this goes back to my memory as a child. So, uh, honing in on the scene where Gwistel gives him a bunch of magic items. Gives him these eggs that are basically smoke grenades. These mushrooms that explode into fire and this magic dust. And they, they sit around for what feels like a while talking about the best way to use them. And I feel like that part just bored that bored me to tears that they, 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 you know, I can understand in real life, you would have a conversation about what the best way to use them. And you would come up with some bad ideas, you know? Sure, sure. But, um... I don't know that just it just sucked I kind of wish we just cut to them just using them in an interesting way yeah but yeah but it would have been I don't know I, I you can understand why it's there I, I I agree with you to a certain extent but it's very character based like it's rune like King Rune's thing is always like he he's always has, has these ideas but his uh, execution sucks right and the thing he's always talking about at the beginning of the book is the seawall he tried to build and then it like yeah. he built it from both ends but it didn't meet in the middle and so he had to redo the whole thing and he's he's that kind of guy well, maybe that's actually the problem at hand is that it's a conversation happening between Rune, Ilanwi, and Fluter, and all three of them kind of suck in terms of being good characters who get, like, maybe the problem is that this book is lacking a person who, like, like it just needs a John McClane. Like, it needs somebody who... <laughs> you want you want, you want want somebody to go in and just go, yippee ki motherfucker. That's it? Well, that's maybe that's part for. of the reason I like Dolly is because Dolly actually is smart and can and is capable of doing things i don't know I, it's not like i need an action hero to speed run the adventure for me but i just was left it, it's 
this book to me is like eating dust. It's so dry. It's so the the characters make jokes, but they they aren't funny. They I don't know. Well, I just well, well I, so I think I think it's uh like I tried I tried to ask myself like would this be popular if it was published now if it wasn't like this kind of kind of thing we've dubbed it's timeless right and it won the Newbery mm-hmm. Award which is the major award for books for I was thinking of it as for books for kids like sixth grade and under. Um, and, yeah. and I, 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 you know, I think the whole series probably deserves that. I don't know if this book deserves it on its own, um, but it's it's certainly one of uh, Alexander's best, just in terms of the way it's written, and in terms of the the level of complexity, and it, you know, in a lot of a lot of senses. But in another sense, like this is uh, this is crying out to be an adult novel, right? I mean, or or it's clearly an example of like the Mabinogian. Is that how you say that word? The the Welsh myth cycle. Do you know how to say that? Uh, no, I, I really don't know how to pronounce any Welsh, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay, despite, well... Uh, despite, despite my lineage. Uh, well, it, it, it's, it's a really simplified version of that. So there, there, there are, like, adult versions out there, right? And it doesn't have to kind of, kind of yeah. be that. So I like that it's there. It makes me more interested in the mythology that it, that, um, it adapts and, and uses as source material. Uh, I think it brings in people for you to identify with as a young kid it was very easy for me to identify with taran um you know to just to, to see somebody who wants to be more and to see somebody who's trying to do the best thing and to see somebody who's realizing uh the things that, that things always don't turn out like like you want them to or that they're not exactly what you think they are when you're a kid like like that's interesting and it's it's a weird thing to read as a as a kid like i don't think a lot of kids books do this now they don't have this level of death and suffering even though it's not right on the page it's certainly there like the way mag dies at the end when he puts the hot uh when he puts anivin's crown on and sits on his thorn and the crown turns red hot and he dies kind of in a terrible way that's a little bit off page like you have to imagine it it's horrific the deathless warriors scared the crap out of me as a kid um the Huntsman too, but the Deathless Warrior is much more. The Gwythaints, they're very under-described, so you have to make a picture of them in your head of, of how terrifying they are. And in my head, they were just absolutely terrifying. So, I don't know. And, th- and then the jokes, not real funny, but easy to skip no. over. They, 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 don't go on, they don't go on for pages and pages and pages usually, but a couple pages, and then you're back into the action. It reminds me of um, Scott McCloud said something about old Nancy comics, back mm-hmm. when I was in grad school, that he said that uh, that Nancy wasn't humor. It was just Hume. It was just H-U-M. <laughs> it did everything except for... Which we often disagreed with. Uh, we we really liked Nancy a lot of it. Um, but <laughs> Nancy's kind of a... I don't want to get bogged down by that. But no, I do no, no, feel no, like no. I, I want to hear about that more. Because it, 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 yeah, it doesn't make you laugh out loud. But you look at it. Right, and you go, exactly. You kind of go, you, you, I, I like that world, right? Well, you recognize sort of the form of the joke. You re- there, there's a nod to a joke being made, uh, right, but, th- right. but that doesn't it doesn't inspire anything in you. It doesn't capture your imagination. It doesn't, you know. Well, I, I find it really hard to read a book of Nancy comics, but yeah. but an individual Nancy comic, I'm always blown away. And then I often go, oh, I need to get a book of Nancy comics, and I go to sure. the library and I get a book and I I don't finish them. Well, you there know? are some there are some Nancys that are like truly brilliant strips, right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and mo- many of those. No, are and, and not not to not to shit on anyway. John Stanley. I mean, they're 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 great. And um, the the woman who's writing them now, I really like them. You know, I think I think they're a different tone right now. But was yeah. John Stanley the the previous steward of uh, Nancy? John Stanley is the one who's who's famous, like the John Stanley collections. John Stanley did other things other than Nancy as well, but he's the. Because I'm thinking Nancy. of 
Well, I'm thinking of Ernie Bushmiller, Nancy. Oh, really? Oh, I was thinking. I was thinking. Of, sorry, I, I always think of John Stanley, but you're right. Bushmiller did too. Um, well, he he created Nancy. I, yeah, I, th- there's a there's a bunch of uh, drawn and quarterly collections of Nancy. I think they did Bushmiller, but I think they also did uh, sure the John Stanley books. It's yeah. a it's a legacy comic. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, but yeah, so the humor there, nothing happens. I will say like, there are some characters in this book that I liked. I wish that, uh, you know, I have friends for whom they do this thing where they're like, well, where's that guy's book? And I'm I'm not going to say where's that guy's book, but uh, like, yeah, I wish that we could have spent more time with cool characters than with like glue. Like who's this, <laughs> who, who is this uh, character? It's like, so there's probably my favorite part of the book is where Kaw goes on an adventure and, mm-hmm you know, evades the huntsman and things don't go well and then gets lost and then arrives at like this cool druid king's house who talks to animals. Kaw's a crow who can speak English a little bit or Welsh, whatever they're speaking in this book. And Kaw is sent at the beginning of the book to Anavan to spy on Iran and his troops and to come back and tell uh, everybody what's going on. But Ka is kind of waylaid, which you don't find out until a little bit later in the book. Uh, is attacked by the huntsman. He's he's er, people shoot arrows at him, and then the Gwethaints come for Ka. And Ka has to go to ground, and he's wounded and beaten up, and he ends up in uh, is his name Medwin Medwin's Valley, the secret valley full of all these animals where everybody gets along. All the animals get along and don't try to eat each other. There's wolves there that have names, and there's bears mm-hmm. and whatever else. And yeah, so. so he always reminds me of the the brown wizard in the Lord of the Rings. I don't, what's his name? Radagast. Radagast. He reminds me of him a little bit, um, but he's clearly some kind of mythical figure who takes care of the animals, who takes care of nature, and he sends he sends all the animals out to help fight uh, Aran. And and Cod doesn't show up until those animals show up, and so Gurgi and Islandwy get separated from Taran. I can't remember if it's in a snowstorm or before. The, I think it's before the snowstorm. But they get separated in a battle with the huntsmen. It might be the battle where they, they do free the, the water, the frozen waterfall, with Dolly's help, where they melt it. And then they, they drown all the huntsmen at once. So taking advantage of the yeah. fact that if they all die, nobody gets too much stronger too quickly. I think this is part of the thing that frustrates me. And and I th- this is actually, I think, a thing that the Disney movie captures about my dislike of, of this world and these characters is that... We have these scenarios where we just have like three unlikable characters talking about nothing for a while, but then like the chapter, <laughs> no, really, but the chapter that is about Ka is so interesting because you have to imagine what do, what is this poor little crow going to do against the world and, you know, how is he going to find his way back to Terran and how is he, you know, what happens if he does die on this journey and how sad that would be, right? Like all of a sudden the stakes have shifted so radically and then... You know, we never thought that he would find this mysterious, cool guy who talks to wolves and birds and knows all of the crow clans in the land. And well, it, he, he's been in the books before too. So okay, well, fair enough. But um, everything about that is not only is it so more interesting, but the problem is, is that when Ilanwi and Fluter Flam are arguing about something, if there were any stakes, I've forgotten about them because I'm so distracted by how stupid these characters are. And and well, like that is a that like that's a real problem in the Disney film is like they need to not get killed by the monsters and they need to not get get killed by the the horned king but they're too busy being idiots that that they can't like be well, competent they, for five seconds. Well, in the Disney film, they're they're children, right? They're clearly children. Well, flute, and, and, well and fluter isn't, but yeah, fluter isn't. Yeah, flute fluter is not. Um, I mean, I, I think I think there's 
there's it's hard to say that i feel like there's huge stakes in this book um until about halfway through and then about halfway through Taran ends up at Caer Dothel, which is where which is Gwydion's castle where math the high king um like lives and and rules Prydain and there's other small kings like Smoit and Rune and uh so on but they're there and they're trying to decide what to do and Gwydion's like like you know Ron's guys are in the field so we're gonna mount it's like all or nothing we have to go attack now you know he's 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 overextended himself basically and and he wants Tarin to go to the free comets which are these small villages where he just spent time and and uh recruit people and Tarin does go there but before that there's a there's a guy named King Prideri who comes in and everybody's like oh thank goodness King Prideri's here and Prideri's like yeah I sided with uh, Aran I need you guys to just surrender and that's that's pretty chilling I like that as a kid it was like oh my gosh what's happening now and I don't know who Prideri is and it doesn't matter I just know that he's a powerful king <laughs> but then he lays siege to Cairdathel and uh, Math is killed by the Cauldronborn and um, it's you know it's it's a pretty it's a pretty stark moment like everybody's on the run. It's go for broke. They have to. They have to win the fight against Iran, or all everything is lost. I, I I I like that. From from that point on, it's like, oh, this is really clear. Like they kind of give up on finding the sword. Of course, Tarn finds it kind of accidentally anyway, uh, under a rock, which is incredibly dumb. At least toward the end of the book. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I I was I, I was in. I was in at that point. I was so excited. So sure. I, I kind of felt that again. So. And then, and then Taran is basically fighting what is a, like he's leading people in what is an unwinnable fight, right? Just to slow them down because they can't kill the Cauldronborns. They can take out a few of the Huntsmen, but they essentially can't beat, they can't beat um, the, the Cauldronborn at all. They can't kill any of them. Well, this, you're right. And I, and this comes back to the sort of the weird logic of the, because every time they're going to fight Huntsmen, it, they have this conversation of, oh, but if we start killing them, they'll get stronger. And it only makes me go... Well, but if you were killing them, I don't know, it, it seems like it should just be fine. It seems like it shouldn't be that hard to kill more of them if you were able to kill some of them. Like, what are, like, what are they going to do? They're going to swing their swords harder? I don't know. Like, I think when it's down to like 10 guys and they're, and they're at that point, they're like 10 times stronger than, than, than a right, man. Right, but, if you, pretty have, hard to kill but if you have more men, then just surround them and stab them better. I don't know. It, it right. shouldn't be that hard. Can we, talk, can we talk about the ending with the white ships sailing west? Oh my god! So, well, so there's a giant fight at the end, and they, they kind of just stroll. Taran just kind of strolls right into Anavan after after the Gwythaint drops him. He he does push a couple Cauldronborn back, and then the big thing that happens is Taran finds the sword under a rock. No lie, and uh, by pushing the rock over, he he's trying to push a couple of the Cauldronborn away because of course he can't kill them. So he turns a rock on them down a hill. It's pretty logical. I like it. But then underneath that is the sword. It's where Aran has hidden the sword, where no one would think to look at it, look for it, under uh, under a rock on this mountain in the middle of a battle. And then Tar- Taran, uh, Taran kills the third cauldronborn who's coming toward him. He stabs him in the heart with this flaming sword. It's a black sword with white fire. I immediately thought of you, Willow. I want you to draw this sword. I was so excited. And uh, the cauldronborn actually dies. And not just he dies, but all the cauldronborns scream and die at the same time. The Cauldron Born are now defeated by Taran, and it should be noted that he he had this sword before when he was a boy, and I think he thought if he would draw it, uh, he would be killed because you had to be of noble blood. But it turns out you just have to be of noble worth, and Taran proves himself of noble worth now. But we don't find out about the uh, true meaning of the whatever the words on the sword until later, the magic sword until it becomes unmagical. Uh, 
So he kills that. Uh, he meets Gwydion. Gwydion tries to steal the sword from him. We find out it's Iran, and he's, he's changed shape to look like Gwydion. He runs off into the castle. Uh, Akron goes to find him. Everybody gets separated in the castle. And then Iran takes the form of a serpent, kills Akron, bites Akron in the throat, and Taran slices him in half with Durnwin, and then the sword becomes unmagical. And that's kind of the end of the battle, right? Yep. And it's 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 okay. I mean, like, I, I, I don't like that this Death Lord just didn't see that, oh, there's this magic sword there. I probably shouldn't bite this old lady in the throat. <laughs> it seems kind of dumb. But, you know, it's 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 climactic. Um, and they all go back to Kaer Dalbin. Oh, and, and somewhere in there, there's a great chapter that I really liked where you finally get to see what a badass Dalbin, the wizard guy, is with the big book. Uh, King Pradary goes to Dalbin's farm and with 20 men and tries to tries to kill him because uh, Iran's warriors can't go there. It's it's safe from him, and it's one of the strongholds against Iran. <laughs> Dalbin just, like, makes earthquakes and shoots fire out of his fingers, and then at the end, Pradary dies by... Uh, he grabs the Book of Three. Dalbin's like, don't touch that, and then this lightning strikes him and kills him dead. It's kind of great. I really like that scene because you don't you don't know that Dalbin is a badass. You have the sense, but you don't ever truly know. And so uh, everybody, everybody gathers back at Kaer Dalbin after uh, everybody who's alive after the fight and what is it they're all going to the summer country like it's the end of the lord of the rings basically they're all they're all going away right. there's no there's no death it's peace taran you can go island we has to go because she's magic gurgi yeah. you can go they're, they're even going to take glue for no goddamn good reason that exists right glue, glue you're staying we don't want you there the, the idea of having there is torturous this is just shit but they decide they'll take him too because they're super kind. Yeah, it's what I what I, what I want is a, a scene with all the people of Pradane going. I'm getting on that boat, and then they just they swamp the boats, and nobody goes to the summer <laughs> country, and everybody dies because why would they just leave everybody else? But it, it's supposed to be magic leaving the realms uh-huh. of men, which is the end of Lord of the Rings, right? Right. So it's extremely Lord of the Rings, like painfully so. But I will I didn't I will say I didn't like this part, but I can appreciate as a writer sort of making the one distinguishing part from Lord of the Rings where it seems like everyone's going to go. Everyone's excited to go because it's, oh, it's and, heaven. And, you live and, forever. And, and Taran and Ilami are going to get married. He's finally asked her, which he's been right. kind of he, trying to do throughout the They can finally be together. Right. But Taran decides, wait a minute, I can't go. I have to help the potter do pottery and I have to help the farmer's farm and I have to finish that seawall and I've got to bury all my dead friends. And Taran made some promises throughout the book like to call, to to weed and plant the garden and to ruin to finish the seawall and he's kind of re-upped his oath a few times in the book, right? Right. So, and, and, then, then, and then the three fates come and visit yeah. him and say, here's your... And, and they were in one, of, one or two of the books before and they kind of right. say, here's your tapestry. We didn't make this, you actually did. And uh, here you get to decide how to finish it. So I, I like that. That was okay. It's a little strange. Um, and then uh, Tar decides to stay and then uh, he's going to be... A, he says, I'm just going to be an assistant pig keeper. And uh, Ilumi really is mad she can't stay, but then we find out Ilumi has a wish which is kind of kind of a little weird. She's had a wish all along, but um, her wish is that she won't be magic anymore and she can stay, so she stays with him. And in deciding to stay, uh, Dalbin declares Taran the High King of Pridane. Says it was foretold in the Book of Three, but he wasn't sure until right now that he, it was Taran. Uh, and, and then Gurgi gives him the coffer that has all the secret knowledge of, uh, I don't know, crafting and smithing and planting mm-hmm. and whatever else. And then that's the end of the book, right? Yeah, it end it, it ends and uh, I think it's a fine ending. I don't know. The, it's a good ending. Overall, 
overall, the the whole thing just leaves me so like vanilla is a good ice cream flavor. This isn't <laughs> even, this isn't even vanilla. Like oh, this oh I is, think that's uh, harsh. I think that's harsh. I I know I know I'm the harsh one. I'm the one who doesn't like anything. I think yeah. I just I, didn't care about any of these characters. So I think here's 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 what I think. I, I think I think the only real judge of this is is a kid, right? And we both have experience mm-hmm. of this book as a kid. And I, I think, I, but I, I will say, I think you came at it the wrong way for whatever reason. And I think I, I came at it the right way. And I think reading this book alone is clearly the wrong way even now for us as adults trying to, yeah, trying to evaluate it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so I, I will say that seven-year-old me, mm-hmm. you know, or sorry, uh, third grade me, what would third grade be? It's not seven, eight, seven, eight, yeah. somewhere in there. So 1977, 78-ish probably right around the time I saw the first Star Wars movie, right when it came out, uh, this was exactly what I wanted to read. It had been written, you know, 10 years before me. It seemed like an ancient book to me. Uh, it had an old look to it. I'm sure it was the the original copy, the school library where I got it from had been, you know, I'd purchased it. Uh, it was one of the books they were just dedicating, dedicated to keeping on the shelves because it had won the Newbery. Uh, devoured it. Set me on the road to reading, you know, like uh, I've read many more of Alexander's books. I like most of them. Uh, I love a few more of them. Uh, I don't think this is my favorite of his books, but it, but like as a series, this means the most to me, you know. And I think you came at it the wrong way. Um, mm-hmm. But I just think us as adults trying to trying to evaluate this, there's there's the evaluation. Well, this isn't for me, and I I totally understand that, right? Yeah. I think if if I was learning English as a second language, like if I was reading this in another language. It'd probably be simple enough for me to read that'd be entertaining enough to pull me into the language a little bit so I can appreciate it for that. Um, like if you have a very simplified version of, of English, it's probably more entertaining than for us to read it. You know, I, I don't know if you haven't read a lot of fantasy, how it would strike me, how it would strike you or somebody somebody in that in that position. Um, but I think I think we have to let the kids evaluate it. I wonder if kids would like this book now. I know some do. I know some really love it, right? I don't know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. You know. Yeah. I. I. I feel like I've said everything I'm going to say. Like, if if you if you find these characters likable, you'll probably like this book. If you if you don't like me, I don't think there's anything else to like about it. It's, yeah. It is. It is 99% character, and I don't even know what the other one percent is other than punctuation. Just. I think. I think. Well, I, I think it's. I think it's like twenty percent kind of mythology. Like, if you're a kid who likes mythology, you might. You might like I the love series. Mythology. No, no, I know. I know. I know. I know. But, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, like that's part of it. Like, like, like people I would give this to, like kids who. I, I agree with you. It's character based. It's not really set in a setting very much, but it, there's some of that there, and there's some plot, and uh, it's got a very strange kind of tone for our time. But it was written. You know, uh-huh. pre- well, like what over fifty years ago now. Sure. So it's 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 uh it's strange. I hope kids keep reading it. I'd be very sad to find know. out it went out of print. You know, I remember as a kid hating the Narnia books, right? Yeah, I never um, read them either as a kid. Well, but you see, uh, reading them later though, I think I think actually they they're kind of great. Like I I th- like I think the Narnia books are the better vanilla fantasy for kids. Um, really. Yeah, I know that seems weird, right? I think there's well, some cool stuff that happens in those books. Maybe we should read one of those after the next book. I, I like that they like the first one, the magician's nephew gets a little sci-fi, but it's like it's it's sort of that Smith thing of like what's the difference between sci-fi and fantasy? Like it is magic, but the characters don't know that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I remember the uh, the silver chair being really cool. Like it, it's this 
children's fantasy book, but it has like, it, it's a little uh, Count of Monte Cristo. It's got like this torture and prison aspect to it. And then when the, when the prince returns, it's this big triumph. And I don't know, just emotionally more interesting. Well, let's, let, let, let's read one of those then. You, you think about which one to read and we could read that in an upcoming uh, episode. Uh, okay. the, next, the next book we're going to read is uh, Silverthorn by Raymond Feast, Feist. Is that right? I don't. I have no idea. I forgot the name of the book until you said it just now. <laughs> I think it's the second Rift War, Rift War book. Uh, never read the first one. <laughs> have started it. Uh, hope you hope you'll get through it, Willow. <laughs> hey, Gene, where can our listeners find us? Well, you can email us suggestions at bookstabberpodcast at gmail dot com if you'd like. Then you can read our comic strip about libraries at librarycomic.com or whatever or, social media presence you prefer. Or you can read Willow's comics at hauntedskull.com. You can. They're, it's maybe defunct. Who knows? <laughs> no, they're good. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Spiders. <laughs> oh, my. Keep stabbing, folks. Mm-hmm.